Good morning, Good News Church. My name is David Christopher. Um, my wife Debbie and I have been going to church here, been members for just over 30 years. Yeah. Thank you. We've also been uh, small group leaders for somewhere around 20 years. We can't remember the exact date we started, but uh, we love small group. Um, there's a picture of our small group there. What I like about small group, our small group, when somebody's sick in our group, injured, any other reason in hospital or whatever, they rally around us, each and every one of us. They'll take meals to you, schedule it out for you to have meals the whole time, take you to doctor's appointments or grocery stores or whatever. That's loving one another. So um, I would encourage you, if you're not part of a small group, to get involved. You will not regret it. Now I have some information you need to know. First is, if you're new or visiting, if you're new or visiting, they gave me a, sh a, vo a mic that makes your voice shaky, just in case you want to know. <laughs> if you're new or visiting, welcome. In the seat backs in front of you um, is the Connect card. And if you would, fill out as much information as you feel comfortable with so we know you were here. At the end of the service, you can put them in the black boxes on your way out of the auditorium. Next, we have Discover Good News. There's two, two dates this month for Discover Good News. If you are, have been coming to Good News and you want to make this your, your uh, church home, this is the next step. So if you would, on the card, everything's on a card, uh, Put, put down what date that you would like to attend, and they'll make contact with you. Hello, fall. Trunk or treat, um, that's an amazing event. If you want to invite your neighbors, your ki their kids in your neighborhood, uh, your family, it is a good, safe environment, and it's a lot of fun. Also, there, besides the trunk, which is everybody has their candy and stuff outside their trunk, they decorate. Uh, they have a uh, chili cook-off, but we need your help. We only have 20, out of 70 trunk spots, we only have uh, 22 reserved so far. And out of the chili, we need about 50, so there's only 14 so far. So on the card, if you plan on participating in one or more of those events, you can do both, then please put it on the card so we know. And the father-daughter dance. Last service, I said it was August, it's October, so. Uh, that's a sweet event, and it's, everybody loves it that goes to it. It's gonna be at our World Golf Village campus, uh, and there is actually no age limit on fathers and daughters, so even old people like me could go if I wanted to. <laughs> and finally, I am also a member of the Global Outreach Team, and uh, the leader of our team, Travis Stevens, who's sitting right there, <laughs> uh, we went, about a week ago, we went to Brazil, and we went to a pastor's conference in Campinas, which is about an hour and a half drive outside of Sao Paulo. So the picture on, uh, there was about 900, I think 900 people that uh, attended this conference, most of them pastors from inside Brazil, and a few from countries outside Brazil. Uh, the picture on your left and the guy on the right <laughs> is Ricardo, and he is the movement leader that we use all the time. We planted many churches with Ricardo over the years. And then the guy between Travis and I, he's one of the uh, church planters, that's Renato. Over on the other side of the picture between Travis and I is Adrian. Adrian was our first church plant at Villa Olympia in Brazil in 2006. And we enjoyed going to worship at that church. It was an amazing, amazing thing. So out of all those 900, I think we have uh, 35, is that right, Travis? 35 churches planted in Brazil now. And we got to connect with like 15 of the pastors there. So that was amazing. The churches are thriving in Brazil. Um, they are planting churches in Brazil and around the world, and we're so thankful for that. So now I think we have people joining the church. Am I right? No? 
I guess I got to stand up here and talk. <laughs> no, I, and Smiley comes up, let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day, for this time together. Thank you that we're a, a church that plants churches around the world. And we ask your blessing on all those churches and those pastors and their families and, and the people that they're about to touch. And uh, we ask your Holy Spirit to come up on all of us as Smiley preaches the word, the message that you have for us today, and that we hear and understand. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, David. <clears throat> Yesterday was a very special day here at Good News. We had gathered in the lobby. We had our Christmas gatherings uh, training time. Appreciate Sarah meeting with us. We had people who really want to reach their neighbors, and so they came for some training. And we're really praying that uh, it will be a December to remember for many people as they host uh, Christmas gatherings in their neighborhood to win neighbors to faith in Christ. We also had yesterday a uh, Sunday kickball day, and our students came out and had a great time. So thankful to have Logan as our student director, and what, what a great day yesterday was. Oh, If you're new, at Good News, we want to make disciples together, and we believe that disciple-making begins and ends with evangelism, because we all start as lost people, and and then someone shares Christ with us, and we come to faith in Christ, and then we get equipped, and we get to win others. And it was an amazing week at Good News. We saw eight different people profess faith in Christ this week. <clears throat> eight people. What an amazing thing. And, and uh, even more amazing than that, there were four new evangelists. Just to give you a little history, a couple of years ago, we really wanted to begin to multiply the number of evangelists we had, and we had 21 people that year who led a friend of faith in Christ. And so last year we prayed that we would double that and we went from 21 to 46. Well, we've been praying for this year that we would double that, which would be 92. And with those four new evangelists, we're now, we have seen 83 people this year have a chance to lead a friend of faith in Christ. And that to me, oh, with almost a quarter to go, we really believe that God's going to work through us to, to see that 92 raised up. And and maybe you could pray that you'd like to be one of them. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the people who gathered yesterday for the Christmas gathering. And Lord, we pray as gatherings are held in the first couple of weeks of December that, that many people would come to faith in you and that, and that new evangelists would be raised up and, and see people one to you. And Lord, thanks for students. Thank you that they had a great time Lord, thanks for Logan and pray that students would grow up here with a deep love for you and want to follow you for life. Lord, thank you for, I believe, 150 people we've seen profess faith in Christ. What an amazing thing. And Lord, thank you for 83 people who've had the privilege of introducing someone to faith in you. Lord, we pray for at least nine more this year. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you're new, we're, uh, we believe the Bible is God's Word, and we're studying through 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. And if you don't have a, a Bible, it would be a great idea to get one and, and follow with us. But sometimes to really understand a passage, you, you need to kind of see what came before it, like previously on 2 Timothy. So I have to share with you, uh, before I read 2 Timothy, that I love to watch on YouTube something called Boats versus, Boats versus Hallover. It's about the Hallover Inlet in kind of North Miami. And I'm a guy, everything's competitive. And what this guy is, he has a contest between the boats and the inlet. Because the inlet can often be rough. And, and if a boat going out or in the inlet stuffs the bow, then Hallover wins. If someone on the boat hits a rough wave and they fall down, Hallover wins. But if the boat makes it out without having the bow stuck or no one falling, the boat wins. There's five rounds and someone always wins. Now, as I've been observing that, what really I've learned is that when, when you're going out the inlet and the waves are pretty rough, standing seems like a better idea than sitting because your legs work as shock absorbers. But when you're standing, it's a good idea to hold on. 
Because when people are standing, but they're not standing firm and they hit a wave, they collapse on the spot. And that's exactly what we read last week. Remember? Last week, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, uh, we read, But realize this, in the last days, difficult times will come. And what we learned last week is that we live in the last days. The last days are the time between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. And what we learned last week is what we were told is there's rough water ahead. Listen, there's difficult days ahead. And so the, the action step and the point of last week's message, very simple, was to stand firm, to stand firm in the gospel. This is going to be round two of the same message. Listen, we're in the last days. And listen, there's rough water ahead. And so it's really important if we don't want to fall that we stand firm in the gospel. And last week we learned what that meant. And we said, it's to believe. It's to believe that the gospel is true. It's good news. It's to believe that the, the gospel is powerful, that, that it's loving to share the gospel. Um, I also need to make a correction. I was corrected after last week. So I like to make corrections. Remember last week we read verse 1, but realize this, in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure, boastful, arrogant, revilers. I said, yeah, you guys remember, right? Revelers. Uh, revelers maybe would be someone who's an out-of-control partier. That's bad, but revilers are to speak harshly or in a hurting way toward others. I stand corrected, the word was revilers. Now something else we learned last week that we need to understand before we move on is we learned last week the reason there's rough water ahead, the reason in the last days difficult times will come, the reason it's so important to stand firm in the gospel is because there's always people who oppose the truth. Verse 8, remember just as John A's and John Bray's opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. There's always people who oppose the truth. So stand firm in the gospel. And last week, people say, well, Smiley, how do we know what's true? How do we know the truth? And you remember what we learned, right? Because you shared it with someone else, right? We learn there's two ways we know the truth. There's the standard of truth that goes like this, and there's the evidence of truth that goes like this, remember? We said the standard of truth. How do we know something's true? Jesus said, I am the truth. Things that line up with Jesus and God's word is true. How do we know things are true? They line up with Jesus and his word. That's the standard of truth. And remember, we learned it, the evidence of truth. How do we know something's true? We know it's true because it conforms. It conforms to reality. So how do I know? How do I know the gospel is true? Because Jesus said, I'm the truth. How do I know the gospel is true? Because God's word is truth. That's how I know. But secondly, I know it's true. It conforms to reality. I've experienced the gospel changing my life, and I've seen the gospel change the lives of others. Haven't you? Now, all of that sets us up so that we can begin today. Because today, our study begins with verse 10. Now you... And this would make no sense if you didn't know what came before it. Stand firm in the truth because there's always people who oppose the truth. Now you, don't be caught up with those who oppose the truth. Notice too, now you followed my teaching conduct. Oh, teaching is important. So is conduct. They're both important. We love to say we believe the Bible is the Word of God and has the right to command our beliefs. That is what we believe, but also our practice. Teaching and conduct are both important. Right teaching is called orthodoxy. We want to be orthodox. Right living is called orthopraxy. We're concerned about teaching and conduct. And, and he actually lists nine things here. Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering. Listen, Paul is a disciple. He's a follower of Jesus. But he's not just a 
disciple. He's a disciple maker. That is, he's bringing Timothy and others with him. He's saying, come, follow me as I follow Jesus. Listen, are you a disciple? Are you following Jesus? I mean, didn't Jesus say to us, what, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? And as you're following Jesus, are you bringing others with you? Are you, are you a disciple? Hey, come do this with me. That's what Paul is doing. Remember what he said in, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, about being a disciple maker? He said, be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Listen, as a disciple, we follow Jesus. As a disciple maker, we say to others, hey, come follow me. I mean, isn't that what it means to be a mom and dad? Don't you want to go first and invite your children, hey, follow me as we follow Jesus? And listen, isn't that what we do as a disciple maker? As we follow Jesus, we invite others to come with us. So why does Paul mention nine things? Nine things about himself. Is, is, he, is he bragging on himself? No, no, there's two reasons he says, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering. The first, he's teaching Timothy to stand firm. He says, I'm standing firm. I believe it. I'm living it. Come follow me as we follow Jesus together. Uh, don't we always want our uh, preachers to, what, to practice what they're preaching? Isn't that what Paul's saying? Listen, I, I really believe it. I'm actually doing it. I'm going first and invite you to follow me. But the second reason he mentions his sufferings is he's saying, listen, it's true, it's true, stand firm in the gospel that Jesus and the gospel are worth suffering for. I mean, there are things worth suffering for, aren't they? I mean, what are you willing to suffer for or who? Maybe you're a mom and you have a little baby, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, and you get up and you take care of your baby. Why? Because you believe. What? That your baby is worth suffering for. That's what Paul was like with, with Jesus and the, and the gospel. Remember when we were in 2 Timothy 1, verse 12? For this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Stand firm in the gospel means that Jesus and the gospel are worth suffering for. Back to verse 11, you followed my persecutions and suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. He says, Timothy, you know how much I've been persecuted. You know about my sufferings. Timothy was from Lystra. And some of you know that in Acts 14, Paul's on his first missionary journey. And, uh, and when he's in Lystra, that's when Timothy comes to faith in Christ. And when Paul goes into Lystra, there's a man there who's lame and Paul heals him. And the crowd, the crowd, they, they want to worship Paul and Barnabas. They call them Zeus and Hermes and try and worship them. And Paul says, what? Don't worship us. We're just men like you. So one moment, one moment they wanted to worship Paul and, and, and and Barnabas, but along came some Jews, and they turned the crowds against them. I mean, what's it like to be a Christian? You can go from being a hero to a zero really fast, right? The exact same crowd that wanted, that wanted to worship them turned when these people came, and they took Paul out of town, and they stoned him, they thought, to death, and they left him thinking he was dead. But then he he got up and continued to preach the gospel. So Timothy either would have seen Paul's stone or he certainly would have heard of it because it happened in the town in which he lived. So Paul says, listen, stand firm in the gospel. I've stood firm because it's true. You stand firm. Listen, it's worth suffering for. And then now notice what he does next. He says, I've suffered. And then he says, indeed, what? All who desire to give godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Listen, stand firm in the gospel because there's rough water ahead and you need to stand firm because you're going to be persecuted because of the gospel. He says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who stands firm for the gospel will be persecuted. And do you know why? 
because the gospel has always been at odds with every culture. Throughout all of history, the gospel has always been at odds with every culture. Just that place in which the gospel is odds with culture changes. The place changes, but the gospel is always at odds. Let me illustrate. 1964, St. Augustine was in the middle of the civil rights protest, and Martin Luther King Jr. came to St. Augustine. Did you know that? Uh, In 1964, if a pastor standing in a church in St. Augustine said in 1964 that God instituted marriage as the permanent union of one man and one woman, what do you think the, the city did what? They cheered. In 1964, if the pastor said that God created us male and female, then then the people throughout the community would have done what? They would have cheered. But if that pastor in 1964 had said, the gospel says that all men are equal and we should, as a church, look like our community and everyone should be welcomed, what would have happened to him? He would have been run out of town. He would have been hated. So now, almost 60 years later, if, if a pastor in a church downtown says that our church should look like the community, we should uh, welcome all people, what would happen today? They'd be what? They'd be cheered, wouldn't they? But if a pastor said, God instituted marriage as the permanent union of one man and one woman, what would happen? He'd be booed, right? If the pastor now stood and said, God created us male and female, what? He'd be booed. Because the gospel is always at odds with every culture. It just changes that point at which the gospel is in conflict with our culture. It sure changed in my lifetime, but it's always at odds. And what Paul says is all who stand for the gospel, all who stand for the gospel will be persecuted. That's why it's so important that we, that we stand firm in the gospel because there's difficult days ahead. Um, and I want you to know that, that Christians often try two ways to avoid that persecution. Uh, two ways. Uh, I'm going to show you that. In, in John chapter 17, do you know here Jesus is praying for us? Do you know the Bible says that Jesus is in heaven now praying for us? Isn't that cool? And and here's how he prays for us. In John 17, 14, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Do you know why we're going to be persecuted? Because we are a people of the book. We are a people of the book. Uh, Have you noticed there's a moral and spiritual revolution happening in our culture? Have you seen that? It's just sweeping. And the only thing that stands in the way of that revolution is what? Is the people of the book. The people who say God has spoken. So he says, I have given them your word, the people of the book, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, even as I am not. We don't go along with our culture because we're a people of the book. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So as Christians are persecuted, Christians who want to avoid that, they fall off one of two cliffs. One group of people see that those who stand for the truth are persecuted, so they just withdraw from the world. They say the world is a bad and mean and ugly place, and I'm going to move to Montana. And I'm going to get a big farm, and I'm going to avoid persecution by withdrawing from the world. Some Christians look at persecution, and their plan is to withdraw from the world. Um, The opposite danger is people look at persecution. People are persecuted because of the book, so they just give up on the book and they conform to the world. They conform. How about you? Do you tend to withdraw or do you tend to conform? Oh, Jesus says, I've sent them into the world. Jesus wants us to be in the world. We're here for others. We have the gospel that people need to hear. We're here for others. That's why we need to be in the world. 
but not of the world because we can't carry out our mission if we're just like the people around us and we're for the world. We want to share with others the gospel that we've heard. Didn't you hear verse 18? As you sent me into the world. And why did Jesus say he came? He said, for the Son of Man has come what? To seek and to save the lost. So he says, as you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. We're here for others, not to withdraw, not to conform, but to share the gospel, the bad news and good news, and plead with people to respond. And when we do, we should expect hunger. We should expect people want to believe. But we shouldn't be surprised when there's hostility. Because we were told that in the last days, difficult times would come. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All those who take our responsibility of sharing the gospel with others, we're going to be persecuted. But we're also going to see many people come to faith in Christ. We continue. <clears throat> but evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. There's a little humor in here that we miss. See the word proceed? It means to advance or make progress. So notice what he's really saying. But evil men and impostors will make progress. But if you make progress, you don't do what? You don't move from bad to worse. If you make progress, you move from bad to what? To good. So what he's saying is these people imagine they're making progress, but they're not. And don't we live in a time like that? People call themselves what? You said it, what? Progressives. They call themselves progressive because they imagine they're moving forward, making progress, but in reality, they're regressing. Oh, man, I miss my mom, and I can't wait to see her again. But my mom used to say something, and it's so good. She said, all change isn't progress, and all movement isn't forward. We hear so much today about change, but all change isn't progress, and all movement isn't forward. So we're surrounded by people who imagine they're moving forward and have no idea they're going backwards, deceiving and being deceived. Now we come to the second, like, but you. We come to it the second time. You see it? The people are being deceived. They're going from bad to worse. You, however, be different. Come out. Be different. Just like he said in verse 10 when he said there are people who oppose the truth. And he says, now you be for the truth. <laughs> and now in verse 14, he says, these people are being deceived. They're going from bad to worse. You, however, be different. Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Stand firm. Stand firm in a culture that's gone mad, that's been unmoored from the truth. Stand firm in the gospel. The word for continue there is the Greek word minnow, uh, which means to abide. The same word when Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, he who abides in me. Listen, continue in the gospel, stand firm in the gospel. And I love it, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of. First we learn, and then we, we pray that the Holy Spirit would convince us, because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the truth and moves it from something that we've learned to something we're convinced of. The Holy Spirit's always whispering in my ears, the gospel is true. It's good news. Jesus really lived, died, and rose. We're saved through faith in Him. It's true. The Holy Spirit's always reminding me it's powerful. The gospel's powerful enough to change anyone. It's loving to share the gospel. We've learned these things and become convinced of. And then he gives us two reasons. Two reasons that we should be convinced that it's true. He says, first of all, remember who you learned it from, and then remember it's written in the book, it's written in the sacred writings. Um, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you've learned them. And that child, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings. Do you know that Timothy 
We hear a lot about privilege today, don't we? Do you know Timothy had the greatest privilege that anyone could ever have? He was born in a home with a Christian mother. And he was born in a home with a Christian grandmother. Wow. There is no greater blessing than have a mom who wants us to know Christ and a grandmother. Don't you remember when we were in chapter 1? In verse 5, but I am mindful of this very, of, for I am mindful of the sincere. You ever get just so excited it's hard to slow down? For I'm mindful of the sincere. Thank you, say it for me. Sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Isn't that great? What is disciple-making? Lois had a faith, and she passed on her faith to her daughter, Eunice. And Eunice took her faith, and she passed it on to Timothy. Oh, Paul is saying, remember, become convinced of, remember who you, you learned it from your mother who loved you. You learned it from your grandmother who loved you. And he says, you also learned it from me who loves you very much. So first of all, become convinced of knowing from whom you've learned them. Uh, And this is so good. Uh, That from childhood, you have known the sacred writings. Uh, Is there anything better in our homes than in opening the Scriptures and letting our children hear the sacred writings of the Word of God? That's what happened in their home. The sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. Oh, do you know why this book is special? You know why? I mean, we have math books, right? And they teach us about math. And we have cooking books. And they teach us how to cook. And we have fishing books that teach us how to fish. Oh, but there's a book that teaches us how to be saved. Oh. Uh, now, I often teach you that the most important book in the Bi- the most important verse in the Bible is the, the first one. And you know why? Because that's where it all begins, in the beginning, God. So if you're her new, I want you to know that, that there is a God, and God is not silent. That the God who is has revealed himself to us. You see, the difference between Christianity and other religions is other religions are based on speculation. God is hiding and men are trying to find God. And the Christian faith is based on the fact that God has revealed himself to us. And God has revealed himself to us in two ways. So we're going to do a little theology. Theology is a good thing. And, and I want to share something really important about revelation, that God has revealed himself to us in two ways. There is general revelation and special revelation. You want to remember this. This will be on the test, okay? And what is general general revelation? General revelation is that God has revealed himself to all men in some ways. That God has revealed himself to all men in some ways. How? Through creation and through conscience. Uh, through creation and conscience. So if you read Romans 1, what you'll discover in there is that God has so clearly revealed himself in all of creation that all men are without excuse because God's not silent. He's communicated to us through creation. And then if you read in Romans 2, you'll see that God has revealed himself to all men in our consciences. Deep inside all of us, we know right from wrong. So no man can say that they didn't know God exists. He's revealed himself. Um, in creation, in our conscience, so that all men are without excuse. So general revelation is God has revealed himself to all men in some ways in creation and conscience, but special revelation, special revelation is God has revealed himself in all ways to some men. That God has revealed himself to us in Jesus. If we want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus and God's revealed to us Uh, what he's like in his word. His word are the sacred writings. The sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So, So God takes the word of God and the spirit of God and gives us the wisdom that leads to salvation. So my question for you 
He said, are you saved? Are you? And um, some of you would say, well, saved from what? You see, I think when we get asked, are you saved, there's three questions from that, right? We're saved from what? Are you saved what? By what? Are you saved what? for what? And, and do you know what the gospel teaches? That we're saved from God, by God, and for God? Did you know that? That we are saved from God's wrath. That we're saved by God's grace. We're saved for God, to enjoy Him and to walk in the good works that He's prepared for us. We're saved from God, by God, and for God. And somebody, well, why would we need to be saved from God? Let me show you. In, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, how many people have sinned? How many? I get often asked the question, Smiley, what about, what about the good person who's never heard about Jesus? What about that good person? Who's What's going to happen to them? And I say, well, that person has nothing to worry about. What's the only problem? They don't exist. They don't, if, if there was a good person, they don't have to worry. But there's no good people for all of sin. What's sin? It's a crime against God. We've all committed crime after crime after crime against God in word, in thought, in deed. And listen, the God we've sinned against is just, and He must punish sin. And He says what we deserve for what we've done is hell, that we're safe from God's wrath. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift. We're saved from God by God. God saves us. Being right with God is a gift by His grace. He, he saves sinners through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is God the Son who put on flesh and came to earth so that we could be saved from God's wrath by God's grace. That's the good news. We're saved by God's grace. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Propiti what? You know what that word means? That Jesus shed His blood on the cross to appease the wrath of God for us. And we say, wrath? Why would God have wrath? Because the response of a just God to sin is one of wrath. You're still not there, I know, but, but when you hear about a child who's abused, what do you feel on the inside? Don't you feel angry? Don't you say that person ought to be punished, right? When you hear about a lady walking down the street and she's brutally raped, how do you feel? You feel anger, don't you? That shouldn't happen. That person should be punished. If the response of sinful people to other sinful people is one of wrath, Oh, what is the response of a just God to our sin? There's something inside of God that says that must be punished. So you know what happened on the cross? The one who would never sin became sin and experienced the wrath of God for us. We're saved from God's wrath by God's grace through Christ shedding His blood on the cross for our sins. This was to demonstrate His righteousness because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration I say of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Don't miss this. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And the moment any one of us sins, God would be just to strike us dead. But God is so gracious. When we rebel against Him, He doesn't strike us dead. But on the cross, He says, this is what sin deserves. Every sin ever committed will be punished. Justice will fall, either in Jesus on the cross once and for all, 
or in us, in hell forever. God is declaring, if you want to know what God is like, look at the cross. God is just, sin will be punished. God is the justifier. Jesus took our place, died for our sins, and rose and offers us salvation because we're saved from God's wrath, by God's grace for God, so that we could be forgiven and enjoy Jesus now and forever. God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The moment someone puts their faith in Jesus, Jesus takes all of their sin, gives us his righteousness, and we're right with God. Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. Don't miss this. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Are you saved from God, by God, for God? That's why this book is so precious. Back in 2 Timothy, the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Man, if you're saved, won't you just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you that I've been saved from your wrath, by your grace, for you forever. Thank you. And if you've not been saved, won't you, or you're not sure? We're saved by grace, through faith in Jesus alone. Well, what is saving faith? It really is as simple as ABC, where we admit and believe and commit. And if you've never done that, won't you do that now? Or I'll give you a chance as we close in prayer. It starts when we admit, oh, Lord. I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. It's true of me. Isn't that true of you? And I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose, that you took what I deserve. Thank you for dying and rising for me. And then we commit to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. Come in, forgive me. Give me eternal life. And help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, won't you do that? Uh, the Sacred Writings, I love this book. It was in this book when my young life leader opened it up and read it to me that I saw Jesus and I was saved. Are you? The sacred writings that give us the salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Um, <clears throat> we've been saved from God's wrath, by God's grace, for God. We've been saved for God to enjoy Him and to walk in all the good works that He's prepared for us. Oh, in Ephesians 2, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Listen, we've been saved by grace. We've been saved for God, because God has good works that He wants us to be involved in, for we are His workmanship. See the word workmanship? The word is poema. Did you know we're God's poem? Do you know that God is so happy about what He's doing in our lives that He's showing us off? We're His workmanship, right? For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We've been saved from God's wrath by God's grace to enjoy Jesus and walk in the good works that He's prepared for us. Well, so how do we discover the good works? that God's prepared for us to walk in. That's why he's given us the book. Oh, I'm just going to tease you just a little bit. In verse 15, we see the scriptures give us the wisdom that leads to salvation. But now that we know him, we're going to come back and spend next week looking at 15 and 16. But notice what else is in his word. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All the good works that God has for us to walk in, we're equipped through them through the Scriptures. That's why we get up in the morning and read, what are the works you have for me? That's why we gather and worship. What are the works you've prepared for me to walk in? How cool is that? What does it mean to stand firm in the gospel? It means we stand firm that we've been saved from God's wrath, by God's grace, so that we can enjoy Him and walk in all the good works that He's prepared for us to walk in, and He's given us the Word to show us how. So our action step for this week, bet you can't guess, is just simply to, to stand firm in the gospel, to stand firm in the gospel. That's really what verse 12 is all about, or 
verse 14. You, however, continue in the things. Listen, you began with the gospel, continue in the gospel, stand firm in the gospel, stand firm. And I'm going to give you two pictures, two pictures. I've already given you one. To stand firm, it says, just remember, just remember boats versus haul over. Just remember boats versus haul over. We're going through the inlet and there's big waves, so hold on. In the last days, difficult times will come, so stand firm in the gospel. The most important habit we can develop is learning to preach the gospel to ourselves and to others on a daily basis, to preach the gospel to ourselves so that we can stand firm. The gospel is true. It's good news. Jesus really did live and die and rise. We really are saved by faith. It's true. It's powerful. The gospel can save anyone, even me. The gospel is loving. First picture, boats versus haulover. Listen, we're going to go through some rough seas. If you're not hanging on, you're going to fall. Stand firm. Picture number two is a, para- is, is a parachute. I, I, to stand firm in the gospel is, is like a parachute and Let me tell you a story. It's a parable. A flight attendant gets on an airplane with two parachutes and tells one young man, put this parachute on. It will make your flight more comfortable. Doesn't make sense to him. He puts it on, looks around. Other passengers aren't wearing parachutes. It's a little uncomfortable and bulky, and all the other passengers begin to make fun of him. And he says... That flight attendant lied to me. It's not more comfortable. So what does he do? He what? Takes it off. She goes to the second man and says, put this on. Sometime during this flight, you're going to have to jump from 25,000 feet. And you need to put this on because your life, it's a matter of life and death. Your life depends on it. What does he do? He puts it on. Nobody else is wearing one. They make fun of him. Does he take it off? No, why? Because he knows when he jumps, it's going to save his life. This week we were reading in 1 Thessalonians, right? Listen, this week we're going to start reading in 1 Timothy. Won't you join us? But when we were reading in 1 Thessalonians, listen, here's the biblical version of that parable I just told you. You see, there are, there are people who tell you, believe in Jesus Believe in Jesus, you know, your life will go better. So many people put on Jesus thinking it'll make their life more comfortable, and when they encounter turbulence and rough waters, they say, I've been lied to, and they give up. But no, I was reading in 1 Thessalonians, and um, here's what I read, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. I want you to stand firm in the gospel. I want you to put on a parachute because that will save you from the wrath to come. Listen, I want you to know somewhere during this flight, we're all in a flight, somewhere during this flight, we're all going to have to jump. We are. We're all going to die, aren't we? And you know what the Bible says? And inasmuch as it is appointed for men, and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. When we die, the moment we jump out of the plane, and we're all going to jump, what's going to matter most to us is what? Is that we know Jesus. And you know why? Because Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. What is the gospel? And there is salvation. In no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So I plead with you to put on a parachute, to put on to Jesus, not because Jesus makes life more comfortable, but because Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. And no matter how much people laugh at you and make fun of you, never turn loose because Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. And as we're on this flight, we're surrounded by others on the plane, aren't we? And so many of them are not wearing a parachute, are they? Oh, and the most loving thing we can do is to share with them that one day we're going to have to jump. And it's so important to know Jesus because He delivers us from the wrath to come. And as we're on this plane, we see a lot of people and they're having the time of their life. 
They're partying and traveling and having a great time. They have no idea what's coming. That's why, you know, we cross the pain line and we share with them the bad news of sin, right, and God's wrath. But then we share with them the good news about Jesus and how important it is that we believe that we put on our parachute, right? But you know, there's a lot of people on the plane. (laughs) They're not having a good time. They're thinking there's no hope for them. They know they've sinned, and they know they're in trouble. And we have the opportunity to share with them the good news, right? That when we put on Jesus, talk about an exchange, when we believe in Jesus, He takes all of our sin, and He gives us His righteousness so that when we jump out of the plane, we don't have to fear God's wrath. Stand firm in the gospel. No matter what difficulties we go through in the days ahead, stand firm. Never take off your parachute. Why? Because Jesus saves us from the wrath to come. Why do we hold on so tight? Because there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to earth. Thank you for dying on the cross and shedding your blood so that we could be forgiven, that we could be saved. Thank you, and thank you for rising from the dead, proving you had conquered sin and death and offering us salvation. Listen, if you've never been saved or you're not sure, won't you put on Jesus? He saves us from the wrath to come. Won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and and be my Savior and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and Help me be the person you want me to be. If you've done that for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Lord, I pray for those of us who've been saved that we would say thank you. Jesus, thank you for saving us from the wrath to come. Thank you for taking our sin and giving us your righteousness. Thank you. Lord, help us to stand firm in the gospel. Lord, Help us not to ever take our parachute. Help us to hang on to Jesus. And Jesus, we're thankful that you've promised never to let go of us. Lord, as we fly on this plane with others and we see so many people who are going to jump one day without a parachute, give us the boldness to share, to plead with others, to believe in Jesus while there is still time. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us, please?